traffic controller. I had just left a lucrative job trading commodities at Barclays Capital for my first startup job, air traffic controller. We've talked about air traffic controllers a few times on this show, just because I think it's important to highlight examples that aren't purely of a military variety to indicate times of stress and jobs where excellence Accuracy, situational awareness, and communication are of paramount importance. This job that was the air traffic controller was an operations job within a fashion startup. When I started, I didn't know the difference between a camisole and a blouse. I had no idea what boho chic meant. I still don't. The air traffic controller job was to, at the end of every day, figure out what sales at this company, which was Inc. Magazine's fastest growing company of the year that year, which of those sales to push out or bring in on the calendar. It was a flash sales startup. This was the heyday of Groupon and all the Groupon lookalikes. Amazon had a fashion startup of a similar variety. So did Gilt Group. They had a, a, a whole bunch of sub-brands under Gilt Group. In the air traffic controller job, I excelled thanks to my SEAL experience and having some business sense out of finance and business school, even though I had no idea about fashion, as I made clear earlier. I did have some marketing sense but there were other things at play too. Judgment was one. But was it really leadership? I wasn't really giving any sort of vision. But there were a number of aspects that were crucial and that get often overlooked when it comes to leadership. So much of leadership is operations. Judgment, yes. Being able to motivate people being able to deconflict across multiple priorities, but operations is so important in what you do in leadership. So many people do operations poorly, primarily because they don't realize that what they are doing is actually operations. If you think about a few examples from everyday life, the problem will become clear. A doctor's office in reception 
in billing throughout the process, they're doing operations. Real estate agents, real estate brokerages, if you've bought and sold a few houses, you probably have seen a few examples of brokerages, especially these sort of mega brokerages that do it really well. That's because the people in charge know they are in an operationally intensive business. But you've probably also seen agents who do not take that operational aspect as seriously. Their communications are loose, vague, uncoordinated. They don't get back to you in a timely manner. They don't schedule things far enough in advance and they don't have their finger on every little loose end when it comes to your real estate deal. It's most apparent when you go to an office of the brokerage and you can see firsthand whether it's an operationally excellent environment or not. And again, similar to the statement in the last episode, weak, which was about weak leadership and how dangerous it is. I made clear that like the Supreme Court opinion about pornography, where they couldn't define it, but quote, I know it when I see it, that the same is true of operational excellence. A true expert will be able to tell a lot more than a lay person, but in your everyday life, you can tell if something is actually run in an excellent manner or not. Think about restaurants you go to or a law office. Same thing applies. Sales is one area where I dare say most businesses, if not almost all businesses, overlook the fact that sales is an operationally intensive practice, a key practice of business, of course. Sales operations was invented in at least the 1980s, if not slightly earlier. And you had a whole function of people dedicated to crunching numbers, scheduling things, tracking things in what became the customer relationship management software. But the worst offenders, which many people do see every day, unless you're a solopreneur or an artist, the worst offenders are managers. Of course, we've made clear here on The Warrior Poet that not every manager is a leader. Not every leader is a manager either. But both leaders and managers, both are in the business, in the function of operations. Most of them don't realize they're leading and they underplay how important having a method to the madness is. So when Martin Sheen's character, the captain in Apocalypse Now says, I don't see any method at all. The same can be said of the workplace. Palm trees. The thing I remember most about that summer is palm trees. And it was so white when you went outside, it hurt your eyes. And the sun baked. It was like you were sticking your head in an oven. We lived in trailers. I had a huge mustache that 
I inherited in a way on a dare from a buddy who left when I got there. Such that because of this mustache, a couple guys took to calling me Borat. Palm trees were what you saw when you looked up, when you heard alarms for incoming artillery fire. It was the summer of 2007 in Iraq. And I remember going in and out of my trailer during the day, looking at those palm trees, applying to business school, of all things. Yes, I applied to business school in 2007 from Iraq. Talk about a surreal experience. Trying to dot every I and cross every T on some of the hardest applications you can make. These were top tier business schools I was applying to. Of course, probably doesn't compare at all to med school. I won't claim that it does or perhaps trying to apply for a PhD. Regardless, I had to concentrate when I could have been sleeping or playing video games or working out some more, trying to de-stress. There was one application, might have been Harvard, where I ended up going, where for some reason, I needed to define leadership. My roommate at the time helped me immensely and his definition sticks with me to this day. He defined it as vision and guts. And I thought about that for a second. And that's the definition that most describes leadership to me. In this case, here in this episode, we're talking about operations and how core it is to leadership. So where does operations fit into vision and guts and, and a third component that I've always added, which is the ability to articulate what that vision is and get people to do it. Those three legs of the stool, vision, guts, and ability to get people to do it through how you communicate, have in reality everything to do with operations in between the three corners of this leadership triangle what you do day-to-day to make that vision come true and to take a stand and to get people to do things is in large part operations, even if you're not an operations manager, even if you're a finance gal or a marketing guy. In order to figure out how operations can help you lead, even if you don't believe you're in one of those capacities. Let's think about the key principles of operations. So this is a little primer in SEAL speak in military operations for beginners. This is by no means exhaustive, but you need a clear goal. You need to task organize to achieve that goal. All the great military strategists and tacticians talk about how you organize but it's actually seriously overlooked in the business literature and even more overlooked in organizations themselves. Most people have no idea how to organize for success and they prioritize things that don't matter, such as pleasing certain personalities or what's worse, again, listen to the episode week, which we just released last week. Many leaders prioritize pleasing everyone 
which is not the same as not disappointing anyone, <laughs> which is uh, probably the worst thing you can do. So with that task organization, you need structure that makes sense and is aligned with the situation. You need delegation to certain individuals, the authority and responsibility to, to do certain things. You need to assign accountability. So that's task organization. You need to measure. You need to improve. These are things that are obvious, especially to those who are in a tech audience or who are otherwise in an innovative business. You need to decide. And here we see the first mention on the Warrior Poet of the OODA loop, O-O-D-A, Oscar, Oscar, Delta, Alpha. And that means observe, orient, decide, act, which is a key loop that helps military leaders in the field. And really, when you're in the field, in a combat situation, everyone truly is a leader. Helps individuals decide and move faster than the enemy on the battlefield. And then you need to communicate. And we could talk for hours about what makes good communication and what makes bad communication. But those are the, those are the key principles right now. So again, clear goal, task organize effectively, measure, improve, have a decision cycle that works and is fast and have clear communications. Again, not exhaustive, but that'll get you started in thinking about operations and see how you can apply that in your activities daily. Microphone checker, swinging sword lecture, closing down the sector, supreme neck protector. Better want him, kid, Mr. Mepsa. Falling pop, about to blow his lid from the pressure. Too hot for TV, for sheezy. Too many want to be hard, be easy. It's all in the together, going all out together. It don't take much to please me. Still, homes are never satisfied like the stone. So now that we've got those key principles down, where in leadership do you need to do ops? So we're going to do ops. Where do we do this ops thing? Well, first, think wide and deep in how you're going to apply this. So again, this is purely in the sphere of leadership, but let's think wide and deep. So wide meaning broad and deep. We're going to drill down as far as you can go in your daily activities for each of these sorts of categories. This list is probably not exhaustive either, but here's some, here's some quick hits. Hiring. What do we screen them for? Who do they meet? How can we make this a great experience for everyone? How can we make it efficient? How can we make it fast? Those are two different things, efficient and fast. And when it comes to speed, how are we thinking about this from a total throughput perspective? So if the time that we see a candidate or the time we open a job opening, I realize that's redundant, to the time that we actually find someone, or alternatively, get that candidate through the experience. The cycle time would be the speed of every step for those of you who aren't into the operations mindset yet. And the reason I mentioned hiring, you might be like, hey, I have an HR person, I have a recruiter, I have a headhunter, they do all this for me. Agency does this all for me. But as a leader, you wanna take responsibility for that. And chances are, there are things that you can control in your process. 
you can improve in that hiring methodology. Team organization is another one. We mentioned that earlier. Communications, we could break that down into channels. So what are you using Slack for? What are you using email for? What are you using SMS for? When are we going to do that? How do I find people's numbers when I need them? How do I find their emails? Now, those of you who are working for Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, of course, you have great tools. Uh, some of those are off the shelf. Some of those are home built. Hopefully many aren't because HR technology is a commodity these days. But if you're in a startup or you're in a small business or you're not in, let's call it the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, uh, something like that, I'm guessing you have a long way to go with how people know how to reach someone. Again, that's just that one point I'm making right now. Just reaching someone effectively on all those channels is a key obstacle for a lot of people. Uh, God forbid you have an urgent situation where you need to reach someone you don't know yet, you don't have their number in your phone, and you need to get on a secure system, figure out who they are, find them. Again, rabbit holing a little bit on that one example of communications. And, and again, this is a, an hours long, if not longer topic but that should give you a little bit of a flavor of what the communications realm is like. I was once at a startup where they even specified timelines per channel. So if you got reached out to on Slack, you had an hour to respond, maybe less, I can't remember. If you got a phone call, you had whatever, five minutes or immediate response, et cetera. This was not like some sort of first responder or military startup. So it was a little obsessive with the timelines, but you get the picture of what the possibilities are. Reporting. So as a leader, you definitely need to institute some sound reporting in the military, especially in the Navy. They preach, expect what you inspect. I'll say that again for any of you who are working out in the middle of a set or something like that or someone's honking at you with road rage. Expect what you inspect. So those things you analyze, those things you look at, those spaces you walk on the ship will appear a different way than those that you don't. This is one of those many things that we talk about on this podcast that are obvious on their face, but are not well-practiced even by those who can repeat the words. So on the reporting front, a few examples of ways we can go deep. There's metrics, obviously. So you need to specify who's responsible for refining this over time. Who's responsible for auditing the metrics? And there's these notions from the military of captain's standing orders. So what are those things that you need to do when authority is not around all the time? When you're not on a ship, your leader, you as a leader should not necessarily specify this to an insane degree, but you definitely want people to know when to quote unquote, wake you up in the middle of the night when they're on watch or when they encounter a situation. So for instance, a good one would be for almost any business. If we have a story written about us in the press that is of a negative nature, you know, let, let us know. 
once you are a very successful company, bad stories will be written about you all the time. And hopefully you'll be insulated uh, against that both psychologically, cash-wise, and legally. And you can respond in a more calm way. A lawsuit would be another example of something immediate. And don't take for granted that people will use sound judgment with these things because a lot of times they won't. You want to trust your people, but some of these things are worth spelling out because guaranteed if you don't, you will be claiming that it was obvious after the fact. This goes along with something called critical commander's information requirements, CCIRs, or maybe it's commander's critical information requirements. I think that's actually it. These are things that you absolutely want to know about the market, about the competition. And so CCIRs, those information requirements, this is different than things you want to know from your people that sort of come up by happenstance. These are things that you actually want to gain intel on. And then finally, another example of an operational thing that you want to specify, that you want to manage is information management. How are we recording research lessons learned? Where are we putting decisions? Where are we tracking errors that we made? Where are we storing any number of other business records? These might sound trivial or micromanagey, but in reality, if you don't do this properly, especially in a startup, it will create an amazing amount of friction amongst your people and a lot of inefficiency. This is a good time to mention Ray Dalio's book, Principles. I have a lot of thoughts on this book. It's overall great. It really makes you think. There are several things I disagree with, so don't take this as Shri endorsing every single thing that Ray Dalio says in there, but obviously he's got uh, many billions more dollars than me, so if you want to take every one of his words as gospel, uh, I won't blame you. The reason I bring up principles is because Bridgewater under Ray Dalio was obsessive about managing every little thing. And I think there's actually, despite that obsessiveness, which I, I disagree with, depending on size, scenario, things like that, there's a lot of great material in that book about things that he managed successfully and that really, at least he claims, made a huge difference in how Bridgewater was able to succeed. So check it out if you get a chance and ping me on Instagram at Shri the Warrior Poet. And I would love to talk with you about what you think, whether you liked it, and how it may or may not relate to things we talked about here on the Warrior Poet Podcast. Hell yeah, I gotta have them hardcore beats and loose links that all play for keeps when we mobbing on these New York streets, nigga. Longtime listeners of The Warrior Poet will recall the episode Hypergraphia. So you'll remember that your host here, Shri, S-R-I, likes to write and maybe I'm compelled to write. I write about a whole bunch of different topics, but I actually, perhaps perversely, enjoy business writing, like writing about 
ideas in the workplace. I like analyzing options. I consider myself pretty good at painting a product vision. So it's perhaps because of this affinity and experience and hopefully by now skill in writing that I had some customers approach me and ask me a ton of questions about how to write in the Amazon manner. The reason I bring this up is because writing can be an effective tool for analyzing your thinking, for communicating ideas, and for getting action and results in the most effective way. Leadership consists a lot in communication, but it also consists of judgment and vision and creativity. All those things in between the tripod of vision, guts, and that communication and getting people to do what you need them to do. By the way, I need to come up with a better phrasing of that third leg of the stool. So I'll tell you what I told them. Take a step back. This is what I call inflating the question. So if you get asked a question, the first thing that an inquisitive mind, which audience members of the Warrior Poet surely have, the mark of an inquisitive mind is to ask oneself, is this the best question for me to answer right now? What's the intent behind the question? How can I most help this person who is trying to get some information and, and, and help from me? That's why they're talking to me. So I had them take a step back and address a host of other issues around this. But the biggest thing that I conveyed was that most people who have been around Amazon a while, most leaders there recognize that the writing at Amazon is at least half so that the person writing it structures their thinking. So they're forced to commit to certain ideas. When you're in your head and before you write it down, just as in coming up with a business plan for a startup idea you might have, until you get to the paper stage, you're able to have so many different ideas in your head at once, even though many of them might conflict, even though you might not have resources to achieve all of them. But once you have to put pen to paper, it's clear that you need some coherence, that you need to make trade-offs. And it forces you to do that. It forces you to evaluate options in a rigorous manner. It forces you to use data to support your conclusions, even before anyone else ever reads it. Consistent also with taking a step back, a lot of people ask me specifically about how to write a press release FAQ, or some people pronounce that FAQ. I've never been able to do that except when quoting how other people pronounce that. But well, of course, we're talking about frequently asked questions for those of you who haven't been on the internet for 20 years or 30 years. So the PR FAQ is a rather famous version of writing at Amazon where you write a press release in the future about what you were trying to achieve now, between now and that date in the future. And so you write it from the customer's perspective or as if you're 
really a company publishing a press release about this new launch you just did. And people obsess about the structure of the PRFAQ. So like many people that I was in business school with, they wanted the framework. They wanted the template more than they actually wanted to think. I really enjoyed business school for a variety of reasons. But most of all, I enjoyed the classes and the cases that made me think most of all. I could take or leave the templates or the frameworks. Those are commodities. And most of those things are made by people who just want to make some money or make their consultancy seem better than the others. And so a lot of times people will put common sense things into a catchy framework when it really is just common sense. Of course, I'm not dismissing frameworks wholly. You can send me all the hate mail you want on that if you feel, feel very strongly that I'm wrong. It will not phase me at all. But the point here is on the pre-RFAQ, this press release document, which tends to be six pages, single-spaced, has appendices, the whole deal. The template doesn't matter. No template or framework is going to help you write that thing. Because the thing that matters most in that document is how amazing is this new launch, whether it be Alexa or whether it be Kindle or pick your favorite big tech company and whatever they've launched lately. How awesome is that thing? Does it delight customers? Will it get investors and, and people in your business up in the morning? Will it make us lots of money? Will it change the world? If you can't do that, the template and the framework don't matter. Meanwhile, if you're writing a business plan, chances are you've scoured the internet for the best business plan templates. And if you're like me, when you're researching something, you've probably opened like 20 or 30 tabs and then you'll have your computer run out of batteries and thank God that Chrome has the feature where now you can just launch all those browser tabs again. But uh, who are you kidding? Are you really going to get through them all? Are you going to remember them all? And it doesn't matter because the objective of a business plan is very simple. It's how do you play the game to give yourself the best chance to win in this business? And, you know, you could start at, is this a business that I should actually start first? And Again, you go wide and you go deep. What are all the functions of this business? What is the competitive environment? What resources do I need? How will I structure it? How many people do I need to hire? What will the product be like? These are fairly obvious things to most people who have been in business for a few years. And yes, will it help to actually have a template? Sure. Will it help to have a list of things that you need to address? Sure. But the best template for a business plan is not going to help you launch the best business. But the exercise of writing that press release, of writing that business plan, give you a method to the madness. They will cut through the noise. They will cut through many of your missteps in logic 
or how you're thinking about the situation. And so writing is one of many, but one of the most serious and most effective tools you can use to have some operations within your leadership sphere. We just had Easter Sunday yesterday and I grew up Irish Catholic. I, at this point in my life, do not practice. And I see the value in many other versions of spirituality. But it's common amongst Catholics, especially the hardcore Catholics, to criticize the people who leave after communion. They don't stay for the last song. They don't stay for the priest's comments before you go. They don't stay for announcements about what the Knights of Columbus are doing or how the men's club is doing some sort of charity thing that involves beer drinking. They leave after communion. And so it's essentially that they are bad Catholics and there's sort of a wish amongst all these people who are supposed to be practicing charity and generosity and seeing the best in people to probably hope that these people go to hell because damn it, they're going to stick around for all these announcements that they don't want to. So anyone who leaves must be bad and, and going to hell instead of heaven. So I promise for those of you who leave now and cut out from all the good stuff at the end that's waiting for you, I won't fault you. But now the rest of us, are going to get all the way wet. Footnote number one, we spoke a little bit about strategy in terms of the Amazon press release and business plan and a number of other things in this episode. I finished the book Strategy by Michael Butler Murray, which is a completely sweeping analysis of Chicken McNuggets and the hot mustard sauce, which is to die for, and which we got like 40 of one summer day on the trading desk. Well, that last part is true. Of course, the book is not about Chicken McNuggets, it's about strategy. It really is a sweeping book. I don't use that term lightly, it sounds kind of silly, just something that a book review <laughs> would say about a book. Uh, especially one that they will get some affiliate revenue on. But it really educated me a lot on a subject which I like to think that I already knew a decent amount about from the military and from business school. The reason I bring up Strategy, the book by Mr. Murray here, is that he makes a great point about having a methodology for formulating strategy and how the operations of the strategic process, especially in the modern corporation, inevitably produce certain types of strategies or even things that aren't really strategy compared to what the business really needs and what will make it effective and enduring in the marketplace. 
So that's just one more example of how operations is really pervasive in the practice of leadership. Footnote number two, one music group that I thought immediately when coming up with the concept for this episode was the crystal method. There's interesting comparisons for those who have been musically alive during the crystal methods career, interesting comparisons with the chemical brothers that are unavoidable in one article on vice, which I'll link to in the show notes. There's there's a mention of the Chemical Brothers and music groups like The Prodigy and Fatboy Slim. I'm not really a fan of Fatboy Slim. But the title is In Defense of Big Beat, the annoying 90s music genre that snobs love to hate. And it, it is true that snobs do love to hate this era of Big Beat. Uh, they do claim that the late 90s were a nader in American music. I don't know if that is something I agree with, but Big Beat did bring some cringe, especially if you look back on a number of songs now. But it also did really, I think the article makes clear, pry open the door for dance music in America. But there's a great quote in here by Skint label founder Damian Harris. And uh, this quote is actually requoted. It's from The Guardian, 2008. The quote goes, Big Beat started as a breath of fresh air, exciting and liberating, and ended up like the loud, annoying, drunken bloke you really wish would leave the party. I think that, that is uh, basically how that went down for those of us who, again, were musically live during this time. I will say, when I went back and listened to some crystal method albums on spotify i i i found it interesting again i actually do like them better than chemical brothers uh even though i wasn't particularly into dance music at the time in the late 90s white boy or at least half white at the naval academy in annapolis maryland there wasn't a lot of crazy dance music there weren't a lot of raves going on in uh the seafaring town of Annapolis at that time. People were more focused on their beer and their crabs. But I, I, the Chemical Brothers have so much of a bigger following than the Crystal Method, but um, I was really pleased to see that they have a recent album that uh, at least some reviewers, and I tend to agree, uh, claim is maybe one of their best albums and i shouldn't say they really because the it was a duo and one of the members ken jordan uh, left the band so it's left to scott kirkland who ended up releasing i believe 2018 an album called the trip home i will say there are a number of tracks in here that are pretty inspiring and mind expanding even without mind expanding substances i plan on listening to it as i try and practice my own operations and leadership and implement some things in my life and my work it could make for some great work background music now scott kirkland does make clear that this is a concept album 
he says he didn't want to create a bunch of singles in an LA Weekly article. And in the little bit of a track I'll play here, it might be hard to appreciate the conceptiness of the concept album that is A Trip Home. One author talks about the silences between the tracks and some crossfades between tracks as being particularly powerful. And you're not going to get that unless you listen to the whole album. I mean, who listens to albums anymore? Well, maybe we should. The track I'll play here is called Ghost in the City. It's track four on the Trip Home album featuring La Castlevania and Amy Kirkpatrick. There are a lot of crazy twists and turns in this song and apparently fades into the next track, Turbulence, in a particularly profound way. plebe year at the Naval Academy, I roomed with a guy known as ODB. No, that's not Old Dirty Bastard. It's Old Dirty Bill. It was a uh, white German guy who was really into gangster rap. And uh, he taught me a lot of what I know about gangster rap, which isn't really much. But he was really into the Wu-Tang Clan at the time. Keep in mind, we're talking about the 90s. And if you're not familiar, the Wu-Tang Clan was a collective and its members were all independently great at their craft and had many of them, most of them, perhaps all of them had great successes post-Wu-Tang Clan. One of those members was Method Man. His real name is Clifford Smith Jr., perhaps a name too proper for gangster rap. Method Man was one of the most visible members of the Wu-Tang Clan. He apparently was one of only two members to get a solo song on one of the band's first records. Method Man is also an actor. He was in the movie 187, uh, a little obscure, probably, by today's standards. He was in Garden State, which is an awesome movie. Starring the guy from Scrubs. His name is eluding me right now. Uh, he was in Keanu. Uh, he's been a number of Law and Orders, I think. And one of my favorites, he played the character Cheese under Proposition Joe in the acclaimed series, The Wire. I'm not sure how much of a leader Method Man is or was. I imagine that in order to have so much success across so many record labels, groups, collectives, acting, music, production, he must be at least somewhat 
of a leader or at least have some of the skills. And one of the things I like most about Method Man is how many collaborations he does and every song, I shouldn't say every song sounds different, but for me, the guy who's not that into rap, a lot of the songs sound very, very different from each other, which I love. Method Man's songs constituted a number of the fills you heard today. In order, they were, number one, Bring the Pain. Number two, Duroc Wilder featuring Redman, which now's a good time to give a shout out to Jason Redman, buddy of mine from the teams. He's got a lot of great stuff going on in his Overcome show. He's got a book out. So you should definitely check him out if you have a chance. That's the Overcome show, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Third amongst those Method Man fills was Gotta Have It, which, by the way, I will say I contemplated adding in a track that would be more of a mass audience pick. It's I'll Be There For You. It was a Puff Daddy mix, features Mary J. Blige. I think Mary J. Blige is extremely overrated, but she's always on every sort of famous uh, hip-hop star show there is, especially featuring uh, women. But I'm not a connoisseur of, uh, of her stuff, so maybe I'm totally wrong there. I'll link to that in the show notes. I will also link to a song that I really was close to playing us out on, which is Rodeo featuring Ludacris. Uh, I think that if you don't use operations in your workplace, uh, you may have a, a little bit of what we called in the teams a goat rodeo. So I thought it'd be appropriate. Uh, that song is like, I mean, it's featuring Ludacris. The song is pretty ludicrous. Uh, <laughs> Pretty explicit, so don't play that one with kids in the car. Meanwhile, number four on the fills was What's Happening with Busta Rhymes. Ray Dalio uses a comparison of a leader to a conductor. He makes the point in his book Principles that the conductor gets the best out of every instrument. They may not be the best violinist, the best percussionist, but they know how to get the best out of all those elements and meld them together. Hopefully, if you use some operations ingrained in your day-to-day leadership, you too will perhaps combine all the raw resources and staff you have on hand to create a symphony of sorts. We'll play us out with Method Man, sweet instrumental off of one of his later records. It's just called Symphony. Take care. The Warrior Poet is a property of Rainiac Productions. If you like The Warrior Poet, there's more great content on Instagram. Follow Shri, The Warrior Poet, on Instagram. That's S-R-I, The Warrior Poet. You can also get to know me on a personal level by following Shri, actually. The Warrior Poet is produced by Laddie, with special contributions by Spoonman and me, Shri. No, 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 no. Kevin, me na do it. Speed up.